This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Welcome to the Grace Enough Podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Today, I sit down with psychiatrist, author, and follower of Jesus, Dr. Kurt Thompson. Kurt's work in the field of spiritual formation and the brain has had a significant impact on my walk with Jesus. So I am thrilled to bring you this conversation today. Our primary focus during today's conversation is the formation of hope during and after suffering. But Kurt's depth of understanding the human soul and how it connects in healthy and unhealthy ways will draw you in and keep you listening. You'll hear us reference the work he does with confessional communities and the multiple books he's authored. All of those links can be found in the show notes at graceenoughpodcast.com. If you find this conversation as thought-provoking and as helpful as I did, I ask you to share it with your friends or your small group or on social media or anywhere that you feel someone will be impacted for the kingdom of God. Dr. Kurt Thompson, thank you so much for being on the Grace Enough podcast today. Amber, thanks so much for having me. It's a real privilege, and um, I've eagerly anticipated our time together. It's great yes, to be with you. I am so, oh, I'm so looking forward to our conversation. And so I love to have people share a little bit about their early faith journey. How did you mm. come to know Christ? And I like to share that because not everyone that's listening is familiar with every guest that comes on the show. So yeah, share yeah. a little of that with us. Yeah. Well, I, you know, Amber, I, my, my experience of uh, encountering the King mm. is one, as I, as I've gotten older, I think, oh, I, I think what happened is that the King came and found me. Mm-hmm. And he found me in in one memorable time when I was 13. Uh, I grew up in an evangelical Quaker community. So I, I was discovered at a church camp when I was 13. Mm. And then there had been multiple other moments when he has been finding me, not just as a whole, but kind of like I, I tell people, you know, um, David Wilcox, the singer songwriter has this beautiful song called Rusty Old American Dream. And it's the story about like a 1950s Cadillac that's kind of sitting on the side of the road. And the Cadillac is the composer of the song and asking for someone to come along and, you know, fix him up, like, fix him up and drive him away and so forth. And I, I feel like that Cadillac that Jesus has come along and he has found me and he has put me in his garage. Hmm. And when I was 13, he put me in his, like, I've been invited into like the King's garage. Mm-hmm. And then I look around and like, oh my gosh, there are like all these other cars and it, and it's really, and, and at the same time, then I discover that, oh, he's found me as a whole car, but now over time, he now <laughs> finds this part of my engine and like, ugh, and then he finds that, you know, drivetrain that needs to be replaced. And the, the, I'm like, I thought it was going to be good enough just to be in the garage. He's like, oh, well, no, like mm-hmm. I'm getting you ready for the race that's coming. Oh, wow. 
for the for the journey that's coming so we have to get, and and of course there's the temptation to look around and say like well that guy's that that car is so much nicer than my car mm-hmm. and all and all the things and so i th- i think over the course of my time on the earth i have been found uh i i think i was found very profoundly uh in, in my marriage i was found in having developing a relationship with the spiritual director that i had for 25 years before his death uh within wow. the last year I was found by our church community that we that we've worshipped in for the last thirty years. I've been found by friends. Uh, this is this is how the King comes, and of course, uh, in these moments, I experience Jesus' uh, gaze and being loved deeply. But of course, as we like to say, I I love the idea of love until love actually shows up. Because <laughs> then you're like, dang, oh, I guess you really do want to go into that particular mm-hmm. room in my house that I've been making sure nobody sees. And he's like, yeah, it's we're we're in the garage and now we're like, it's just the next phase of this car's overhaul. Wow. And so it's both a beautiful and at times painful uh, journey mm. uh, because uh, he's, I, I guess, because the king is really, Jesus is really quite serious, mm. takes us far more seriously than we take ourselves. And what, you know, his, his uh, intention to turn us into artifacts of beauty in the world. And um, yeah, so. God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. So we're here really to talk about hope and suffering. Yet, Mm. Mm. when you say that about love, Mm. I just can't help but ask you to expound on that a bit Mm. because I think we have kind of changed the definition a bit of love. Hmm. where that means like we kind of leave, if we love someone, we leave them alone mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. we just love them as they are. And and what's mm-hmm. the risk? Like, how do you love someone as they are, which Jesus does, yet he wants us to be like him? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, Amber, um, I, I think this is uh, directly related to the topic of our conversation, This mm-hmm. this new book. Um, the deepest place, uh, mm-hmm. this notion of suffering and the formation of hope. It's an exploration of these first five verses of Romans 5. And what we see is that when long before Paul gets to the notion of suffering, you know, there's an on-ramp mm-hmm. to talking about suffering. This on-ramp having to do with trust and glory and the development mm-hmm. of a relationship in which we feel seen, soothed, safe, secure. However, uh, elements of being loved, like elements of being loved as children, like th- this notion that when love shows up, I have a pop culture vision of what this means, <laughs> right? Love shows up and um, does for me what I want. 
Love shows up and gives me what I want. Love shows up and makes me feel, uh, delivers me from all pain, from all anguish, from all things. Love uh, certainly uh, cures my ills, stops my suffering, all the things that love does for me. Um, I don't imagine love is placing demands. Mm. I mean, that would be that, that in our in our kind of current moment, anybody demanding anything from anybody is like off limits. Like nobody's allowed to demand anything from anybody. Except the fact that, that the, like, actually, you can't live in the world without confronting demands. Like, gravity places That's demands right. on us and so mm -hmm. forth. And so this notion, though, that when we talk about suffering, there's these three ways of suffering. Things that happen to us, things that we do to mm -hmm. ourselves, which constitutes the greatest portion of our suffering. And then the suffering that comes because we want to walk into the light mm -hmm. that we read about in First John. This mm -hmm. notion that if we're going to walk into the light then I'm going to have to be prepared for the reality that it's going to hurt my eyes. Yes. Uh, there is and a certain suffering. darkness, right? right? Right. There's a certain suffering that comes when Jesus says, Kurt, actually, you're going to have to give up your greed. Uh, you're going to have to give up um, undressing uh, women in your mind. Oh, yeah. You're going to have to give up your impulsivity. You're going to have to give up part of you that enjoys, actually, without wanting to admit it too much, that enjoys holding grudges you're going to have to forgive people. You're going to have to become a person of greater love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all the rest. And uh, th this all reminds me of the story in Voyage of the Dawn Treader that Lewis writes about Eustace, who has become a dragon. Mm -hmm. And as a dragon is like his family, friends want nothing more to do with him. That's and right. he's so sad until Aslan shows up and asks the question, may I undress you? And layer by layer by layer of scales, Aslan tears off of him, but that's what he, he tears it off. Mm -hmm. And anybody, any of our listening audience who's ever had to give up an addiction, mm -hmm. we know like to give it up, there is a suffering that is involved in this. If I'm gonna, if I'm 60 pounds overweight, yeah. And I'm going to lose, like, there's going to be a suffering. If I'm out of shape and I'm going to get in shape, there is going to be a suffering. There is going to be a price we pay. If we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to discover that he is going to place a demand on me because he, invi it's not just about he wants me to behave right. He wants me to become mm -hmm. something. Uh, and so in that sense, being loved is not just about me getting what I want. It's about me becoming something mm -hmm. that I can't imagine unless somebody else is seeing it on my behalf. Mm -hmm. That's a powerful way to look at it, particularly when we sometimes can think of suffering as just when we lose someone mm -hmm. or our child is lost or that mm -hmm. type of suffering. But to think mm -hmm. about it in like suffering is also a denial of whether it's an addiction or and we all have it right it's a denial mm -hmm. of that mm -hmm. thing that yeah. fleshly desire that we have so mm -hmm. deeply within us and so when you think about that something that you do write about is that suffering can produce a durable hope really like nothing else can how mm -hmm. so well, well, I think, you know, one thing to, um, in the book, we talk about hope uh, in, in terms of like, just as a neurobiological reality mm -hmm. of what it means to be a human being. So for instance, uh, most of us are not aware of how hopefully we behave most moments of the day. For instance, if I walk across the floor, mm -hmm. um, I don't think consciously that I'm hoping that the floor will hold me, but that right. in fact is what I'm doing. But mm -hmm. we're doing this in infinite numbers of ways. 
it is when I am in a place of suffering. It's when I'm in a place of doubt, when I'm in a place of pain that is not immediately resolved, hmm. that the development of hope in a durable form becomes most capable of being formed. In this way, we would say that if we are paying attention to Paul's language in this passage in Romans, where he talks about faith, which is really about attachment, it's, it's yeah. really about who am I trusting? Who, not what, not a concept, not a theology, not a belief in Christianity, but a trust in the person of Jesus as it's mediated through the body of Jesus. If I have relationships that enable me to feel that and have to sense in my chest that I am not alone in the middle of my pain, mm. I begin to have experiences in which my pain itself is my experience and the story that I tell about my pain <laughs> is different. If in the middle of that pain, uh, Amber, you are someone who says to me, Kurt, I'm not leaving the room. Mm. And of course, I'm already calculating. Well, I know that's what you'd like to believe, but I know that there's going to come a point in time when you're going to like, you're going to get tired of me. Right. You're going to get tired of my pain that doesn't go in our way. You're going to get tired of all my efforts to do the work I'm trying to do, whatever it is that I'm, whether it's my cancer or my alcohol addiction or whatever it is, right. there is a part of me that believes you're leaving. And if you are saying like, actually, no, I'm not leaving the room and you remain, you literally give my brain and my body and the story that I tell about myself an opportunity to be different, to be renewed, to have a different imagined future, not one in which my pain goes away, but one in which I imagine a future in which you don't ever leave the room. And this is what Jesus is saying, like, lo, I am with you always. In this world, you will have trouble. Mm -hmm. You will have tribulation. You will suffer. That's not the final narrator of the story. The final narrator is me who is with you. Yeah. And always. that's what I want you to pay attention to. And we can say this theologically and it's a nice idea, but if I don't have experiences in my life in which I feel it in my chest with real live people, mm. it will be very difficult for hope to be a thing that I form the way mm -hmm. the brain works. Yep. We anticipate a future based on the collection of memories that we are storing up that are based on the experiences I'm having right here and now. That's right. And if I'm having an experience in which you, Amber, do not leave the room, that becomes a memory that I encode. And if I encode a number of these together, it begins to form my anticipated future, which is what hope is all about. It's a, it's a future state. Mm -hmm. I'm anticipating not, I'm not primarily paying attention to my pain going away. I'm paying more attention to your presence and to the presence of others, the presence of the king with me, even in the middle of the pain, which mm. transforms everything. And that is how hope is formed durably in the face of what evil will want to do, which is to, in some withering way, uh, continue to tell us the same lie that he told Eve and Adam, which is that at the end of the day, God doesn't really love you as much as you think he does. Yep. Otherwise, he'd give you exactly what you want, when you want it, how you want it. Mm -hmm. So you should feel free to take from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil mm -hmm. rather than wait for God to give you things. Mm -hmm. 
But this becomes the manner in which we not only are have our own story transformed, but this becomes a witness to everyone else around us. Yeah. So I do think about the way our our brain is wired and yet how it can change. It can form new pathways. Yet that does take a lot of work for someone mm -hmm. whose early experience is no, people do leave. And now, unintentionally, we have ascribed that to who God is. Mm -hmm. I know for me, I mean, I've walked with Christ for 25 years now, but it was only like two and a half years ago that I realized, wow, the same belief that I have had, I can lose your love. I have put that onto God as well mm -hmm. because of some childhood experiences. Of course. And so... How do those people then get to a place of secure attachment to where they can build durable hope? Because we have to practice it if it has not been our reality mm -hmm. in most of our formative years, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you get to that yeah. place? Yeah. So the uh, the example I use f uh, with many patients and um, in many circumstances is the following. If you have a near drowning event as a four-year-old, the most effective way for you to never be afraid of the water is to just never go back to the pool. That's how you, that's how you avoid it. You, I'm never going to be afraid again of the water because I never <sighs> go back to the pool. And then you get into your twenties and you have all these friends who are having pool parties. Mm -hmm. And you're and like, avoiding is, it is not the answer. <laughs> right. And the thing is, is that like, it's not about the pool. It's about the people. That's why they want to have the party, but that's where they're having it. And they want you to come. And you'd like to say, well, I know I can't come to the party. And like, no, yes, you can. But like, I mm -hmm. am afraid. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to learn how to swim on the internet. You know, but we would like to say, like, well, wait a minute, could I somehow find a way to rid myself of my fear, mm -hmm. to go back to the pool without having to actually encounter my fear mm -hmm. at all in any way, mm -hmm. shape or form? And the answer is no. No, you can't. No, you can't. And so we, we have a choice. I mean, I mean, this was the story of the rich young ruler. I mean, Jesus says, I mean, in Mark's gospel in particular, where we read, and Jesus looked at him and loved him. Yeah. And basically says, I don't know what happened to you when you were a young guy, such that you learned, such that you came to believe that you have to work your tail off mm -hmm. to get me to love you, which is why you're asking me what you must do to get me to love you right, in the first right. place. But I got to tell you, like, that's not working here. Like, that's not going to work in heaven because in heaven, like, you're not working a lot in heaven. I just want you to come be with me and then let me love you. That's the, the your job, your work is to be with me and let me be with you. And he went away and his countenance fell and he went away sad. And Jesus mm -hmm. does not chase him down. No, he doesn't. Jesus, no, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, let's let's see if we can find a better, easier way for you to do this. No, there is no other. There, there is no other way. If you uh, tear up your knee playing ball or, skiing, or whatever, <laughs> whatever you're doing, like there aren't going to be an infinite number of ways for you to rehab your knee in such a way that it's not going to be, it's not going to cost you anything. That's right. right. And so we would say to the person who's had the near drowning event. Um, uh, what if your friends come and say, look, uh, you just drive and meet us at the parking lot. Don't bring your swimsuit. Just come in your street clothes and we're going to meet you. And we're all just going to together. We're just going to sit on the deck of the pool. Hmm. 
and you're going to smell chlorine and hear the chop of the water and your heart rate's going to go up and your blood pressure okay. and you're going to get afraid and we're going to hold your hand and we're just going to breathe together and we're going to be with you and we're going to do mm -hmm. this two or three times this summer until you become completely comfortable coming to the pool in your street clothes and you're like mm -hmm. this is great and then we're going to say next week we want you to come and put your swimsuit on but we're just going to stick our feet in the pool we're not yeah. going to the deep we're going to stick our feet in the pool and so we do and your heart rate goes up and your breathing rate goes up and the whole thing starts all over again and we're gonna do the same thing all over again until you're comfortable with your feet in the pool until by the end of the summer you're going off the high dive but not because on the first day we brought you in and threw you in the deep end that's right but we can't do this if you're not willing to come to the pool there is no other way like you you this is where the party is mm -hmm. this is where the people are we want you to be with us Jesus says, I want you to be with me. Come follow me, sell everything so you don't have to work so hard, right? It wasn't his wealth per se. Right. It's what his wealth, his wealth represents his insistence that he needed to make sure that he could prove himself yeah. to Jesus in order to be loved, mm -hmm. which is what, you know, I'm doing all the time in any number Same. of different ways. Yes. Yeah. Manage and control too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then you've been invited to the pool. And you're sitting on the side, but so often I see people wanting to do it all on their own. And you talk about this too, like we have to have community. And so often mm -hmm. we run from it because it's again, where we've been hurt. So we avoid mm -hmm. it. Right. Yet I've seen, and I've heard people just feel like I can't trust anyone. And I think sometimes it's like, even building that community or getting to that place. Um, any advice for those people who are listening and they're just like, I know I need people, yet I've been hurt so much. Mm -hmm. Like, how do I even begin to to foster that? Or, yeah. I mean, I know it's put that, but sometimes people aren't as supportive as you need them to be, I guess is what I'm trying right. to say. Right. Well, I think this is what I found. I, I found it's actually helpful to talk about um, to talk about our our lives and our stories yes. uh, in our world as it really is unfolding. Mm. Here's what I mean by that. Look, um, when I invite you, if 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 I'm the guy who won't come to the pool, uh, you don't you won't say to me, Kurt. Like what we want is for you to come to the pool and go swimming with us. Mm -hmm. What you want is for me to come to the parking lot. That's all you want me to do. And we'll stand in the parking lot and talk for the first day, the parking lot of the, of the swimming pool, mm -hmm. which is as close as, as, it's as close to the swimming pool as I've ever gotten. And maybe the next week you're gonna say, um, we'd like for you to come with your street clothes and just sit with us on the deck. Right, right, yeah. Language is not everything, but it is not unimportant. It's important. And so when we say things like, I can't trust anyone. Well, mm. if they're telling you that, that's actually not true because they're trusting you enough to tell you that they don't trust anyone. Mm. So it's it's really important that we invite people to actually uh, uh, match what they're mm -hmm. saying with what is actually happening in the material world. It's not true that they trust no one. If they're driving their car, they're trusting everybody else on the other side of the road to stay on their yeah. side of the road. Yeah. Instead, I might wanna say there are particular parts of me that are afraid because of a particular thing that has happened or things that have happened, mm -hmm. that's all true. But it is not true for me to say in a sweeping statement, I don't trust anyone. Right. Like, 
you, human beings are not able to live, let alone flourish <laughs> in that way. And so it's really critical. It's crucial that we actually are as uh, accurate mm -hmm. as we can be when it comes to actually describing what's happening. And so little by little, we invite people to ask, well, what is it that I want? And what am I afraid mm. is going to happen when I yes. enter onto the journey of seeking what I want? What am I afraid is going to happen? And don't say, well, I'm afraid that I'm going to be let down again. I have no idea what that means. And you certainly and we, will be. <laughs> we, well, well, we will be. But I mean, like, again, we tell these stories. We have this way of like, okay, I, I had a near drowning event as a four-year-old. And it's important to know that what I'm afraid of now as a 25-year-old, mm. I'm not afraid of drowning because if I'm, if I've drowned, like I have no emotional, like I'm not afraid, like I'm dead. Mm. I'm not afraid of drowning. I am afraid of having the experience that I am drowning with all mm. of its panic, with all of its yeah. terror, and there will be no escape. Yeah. That's what I'm anticipating. But what I'm doing in that process is that I'm leapfrogging over all of the moments of choice that I will have between now and then in which I have agency. My terror of a catastrophic future mm. outcome has me telling a story in which I am unable to imagine or think about or consider all of the moments of agency that I actually do have between now and that catastrophic future. This is what my brain is doing. Mm -hmm. And this is what my brain will do when I am left alone with my trauma. It's right. not until you, Amber, come along and say, well, wait a minute, Kurt, when you say you don't trust anyone, um, isn't it true that you're actually trusting me to even I'm have this conversation? That. Well, in, and, and so let's say like, well, in what ways are you trusting? Well, okay, I'm trusting you to have this, I, I'm trusting, you know, I, I trust that you like me enough, at least now. Mm. I trust that when we're done with this conversation that you're, I'm going to trust that you're going to think that, oh, I'm glad I talked with Kurt. Like, well, wait a minute, that's trusting something. So mm -hmm. let's talk about what you can do to trust and what is the next thing that you want to do. And then if I'm paying attention to that, I can begin to imagine a future that is different than just the catastrophic future that I'm thinking about. But I can't imagine that future without your help. Right. Yeah. I have to have you in the room who's helping me imagine while my imagination is trying to catch up. This is what basic parenting is. Mm -hmm. This is what it means to, this is what, this is what really good teachers do. Mm -hmm. This is what good coaches do. So what good pastors do. So what good leaders do. We're imagining things on behalf of the people that I'm leading mm -hmm. while we're waiting for their imaginations to catch up. But we're not waiting in disgust. We're not waiting with condemnation we're waiting with curiosity and we're, we're placing mm. demands on them yeah just like we do with our children and this is what jesus is doing saying that if this is what we're going to do in this world evil has no intention of going quietly into the night which is why if that kind of journey is the one you want to get on you just need to know the gate is narrow yes it's not easy to do mm -hmm. because we are pushing against the ruler of this world all the more reason why it's so crucial for us to be on this journey in community. In community, yeah. Is that what you're referring to when you say the goal really isn't to suffer less, 
but to suffer differently? Because I would venture to say most people are like, I don't want to suffer at all, but we know we will. So, I mean, is that what you're referring to? It is. I mean, I, again, I think it is, I think it is the matter of it, like, like anything there, there is a sense in which if we want to continue to become the object of pleasure and beauty and goodness mm -hmm. that God envisions us to become the language, the biblical language for this, there are two primary uh, words that are used in the biblical language. One is the word formation. You're being <laughs> formed into the image of his son. The invisible God, yeah. Formed. And the other is the word refined, tested. <laughs> this is what was happening to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were given the opportunity to be tested because they were. it was an opportunity for refinement, for maturity. They weren't just like passing a test, yes or no, okay, you get an A or you get an F. It's not, it's not just to see how much do you know. Right, or if they would obey. Right, it's in a matter of like we, God is allowing this to happen for you to become something more than you are right now. We're putting more weight on the bar and every time you do, there are gonna be small micro tears in the musculature right. in order for the muscle itself to expand in its strength capacity. Mm -hmm. And so this is the nature of how we are formed in this real world. And so there will be a certain suffering mm -hmm. because of the nature of the world that we live in. Mm -hmm. The real question is whether or not that suffering is entered into to begin with by being aware that we are so deeply loved by a God mm -hmm. for whom we are the object of his deep pleasure. Yeah. And so when Paul then writes and when Peter then writes about sharing in Christ's sufferings, we are doing so uh, not just to somehow have an equitable share in like what goes around comes around, Mm -hmm. But because it is those sufferings that are exemplary of the of the formation of the uh, of the refinement mm -hmm. that is taking place in our lives, and it not not to mention that it also is it, uh, it is a uh, a representation it is exemplary of oh this is the nature of what happens to people who are this serious about following the king. A.W. Tozer once said, to a world that is running away from reality, those of us who are running toward it will seem like deserters. Mm. And we will be criticized as such. And we will I suffer. We see that to a right. certain degree, right? Right, right. But I mean, but, but this also happens. I mean, like, look, I mean, how many of us, like we know, in, in, in people in our practice, I mean, patients who are, that we're working with, this notion of like, oh, um, I come here and I have a history of trauma and this and that and so forth mm -hmm. and so on. And I have a particular family system of origin, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And now I want to move toward health and they're not happy about it. Yes. And we have listeners here, I'm sure, who are like, oh my gosh, yeah, some of my suffering is like my parents who continue to like behave badly, even though they're in their eighties or seventies. Yeah. And I'm trying to do the next right thing. And they're like creating trouble. I mean, there is a suffering that takes place when we are trying to walk in the light and the systems that we have occupied for most of our lives are systems that are so broken, but mm. expect us to operate by their rules. And so mm -hmm. to move into the light means I'm no longer willing to live in a way that asks me 
to become less than who I've been created to be. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, that soul deep belief that God, like that you're his beloved, that you are really the object of his affection is something that I certainly in my own life and have seen, it's a struggle for people to Mm. believe Mm. that. Mm-hmm. really deeply. Mm-hmm. And that almost takes me back to your book, Soul of Shame. Mm-hmm. And just that wrestling through as well, like, oh, I feel guilty that I didn't do this. I feel guilty that I didn't do that. Or how do I love my parents well and honor them, yet mm-hmm. step away from, you know, what's happening, um, that they're causing some of the suffering? What do you, mm-hmm. how do you counsel in those situations? Yeah. Well, you know, um, Amber, I, um, one of the things that we talk about, uh, we talk about this with patients in our confessional communities individually, we become what we pay attention to. Absolutely. And so uh, this is, and, and, I, and I tell people uh, at the end of the day, life is it's actually formation. very, yeah, right. <laughs> and and we're, we are being formed. Mm-hmm. The question is, what are the By forces? What? Mm-hmm. Exactly. What are the forces? to which we are submitting yeah. that are forming us. Yeah. And uh, I'm, what I'm going to say, people will have all kinds of responses to the, and, and I, and, and I, and I, and I, and I would have these same responses. So I'm, I'm, I'm the chief among sinners when it comes to responding to me. <laughs> um, if you want to be really good at anything, mm. you're going to practice it. If you want to be a really good cook, yeah. you're going to cook a lot. You're going to immerse yourself. You're going to study. You're you're going to try things. But but the kitchen, you're going to spend a lot of time in the kitchen. It's true. If you want to be a good golfer, if you want to be a good pianist, it, whatever, right? If you want to be a professional human being, if if you want to be your best personal Jesus follower, then you are going to immerse yourself in the kitchen of God. And what is that? That means mm. you're going to immerse yourself in texts. Yep. You're going to be in the scriptures, and by this. I don't mean like I have my uh, quiet time in the morning in which I read the Bible for, you know, five or 10 minutes and I pray for another five or 10 minutes and right. then I go off to work. Uh, and, 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 and this, again, this, this is not some kind of, you know, fundamentalist approach of like this legalistic approach. These were the things you have to do. It's a simple matter of I, I, I pay attention to what I want to become. Yeah. And so I need to be in texts. Mm-hmm. I need to be in the context of genuine worship. Mm-hmm. I need to be in a context in which I am practicing prayer. Yes. Practicing spiritual disciplines. Yep. And it is in, incumbent upon me to be doing this in the context of a community. Yeah. Now, our listeners might hear that and say like, well, gosh, I don't have, I don't have the time for this. I don't have the, and I will say, I really hear that. And there is no other way. There isn't. There is no other way. And this is why Jesus said the gate is narrow mm-hmm. and he and he doesn't apologize for it. We, we would not, we would have a, many of us in North America would have a great deal of trouble with the Jesus we read in the gospels. True. Not because he's mean, not because he's harsh, not because he is sectarian, not because he's violent. He's none of those things. He simply is unwilling to live in any way except according to the way that the world has actually been made to operate. It's that simple. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like we're saying, we're saying, I would like to be able to build 
and operate an airplane and I don't want to have to pay attention to the laws of gravity. Mm -hmm. That's what I'd like to, I don't, I, I want to like, I don't want any plane crashes. Yeah. Or learn I, I don't, how to fly. I don't want to have to do any of that stuff. I just, I, I just want to be on, get in the cockpit and go. I've seen a plane. I've seen them fly. I've flown in a plane. I feel like I should be able to just do this. Mm. But we live in a world, Amber, that is training us regularly. It's training us to believe that I, A, am and can become anything that I believe that I am. Like there's no such thing ultimately as self-identification. There's no such thing. It doesn't exist neurobiologically. It doesn't exist in the world. We have agency, but I'm only naming things in response to things that I'm witnessing that other people are telling me. That's right. Yeah. And so I, I, I can't just, I don't just decide. And so therefore in the same way, I don't just decide, oh, I'm a pilot and I'll do that. But yes. I'm, I, but I'm living in a world that is coaxing me to believe like we, you know, everything from the supercomputers that we walk around with in our pockets <laughs> to Madison Avenue to whatever. Um, I shouldn't have to delay gratification. I shouldn't have to like put in hard work that over days, weeks, months, years mm. in order to become what I want to become. But that's not the material world that we live in. Mm. Material world that we actually occupy, the one that we read about that was made that we read about on the first two pages of the Bible um, is a world that places great demand on us uh, because God is so joyfully serious about us becoming everything that he envisioned for us to become. Ooh, I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> because mm. it's like James K. Smith, his book, You Are What You Love. And mm. We do have agency to choose part of what we love and what we spend our time on. Mm -hmm. And yet so often we're so entangled in this, um, like you said, I need the quick fix. Mm -hmm. I don't want to mm -hmm. suffer. And so when you're talking about putting in the work, mm -hmm. orienting our minds for this doesn't come easy, mm -hmm. a, a mm -hmm. fellowship with God while he loves you still requires work like any significant relationship does yes yes right. and so uh what is that beyond that early morning quiet time and we may, we may mm. close out with this you know because i guess i think about every good endeavor that um tim keller wrote with kathy and i just think about how he talks about continuing to create in the marketplace and you know you don't have to be in ministry to have a close relationship with god we can do these right. things in our lives? Like, what does that look right. like for you? Well, I mean, I, I would say, I, I mean, I happen to be in a profession in which my, my sense of creating beauty and goodness in the world is to do mm -hmm. the work that I do with patients yeah. and, and patients and the people with whom, with whom I work. But we, we would say that a number of things, you know, as uh, my friend Andy Crouch likes to say, that um, we really only have uh, one general calling, and that is to bear and restore the image of God. Amen. That's our, yep. that's our single call. I'm not, I'm not actually technically called to be a psychiatrist. Right. I'm not called to be a teacher. I'm not called because those, those things might evaporate. They might go away, but it doesn't change my ultimate the call. foundation call. Yeah. Bear and restore the image of God, which is important because then we would say, however, as mm -hmm. a restorer, I am called to create beauty and goodness in the world mm -hmm. in whatever area of gifting that I happen to have. Yeah. But, you know, the first two pages of the Bible also make it very clear that there is a way that we are 
intended to go about doing that, that we do that most effectively in differentiated and linked fashion, that the man and his wife, right, these are very similar yet extraordinarily different beings, but they're linked. Mm-hmm. It's not the only way that we experience differentiation in our world, right? right? We have different ethnicities, we have different socioeconomic, we have different cultures, we have a range of different ways, mm-hmm. but we're linked, we're intended to be linked, we're intended to be vulnerable, right? The man and his wife were naked, naked, vulnerable. I need your help, protect my dignity. And I need your help because there are things I can't do that a certain thing is not going to happen unless we're doing it together. Mm. The problem of course, for me is that my trauma will then have me wanting to only do that kind of work with people who are just like me. (laughs) I don't want to have this differentiation thing. Like, no, that's right. Right. I told people like I got married to the woman that I thought I really wanted to marry. Then you get married, you're married for just a short period of time. You're like, oh, my gosh, I didn't really want to marry Phyllis. I, I wanted to marry me. me. I, know. I wanted to marry me. <laughs> I just wanted I just wanted me to look like her. I just but, you know, this, this, this is what I want. I wanted to marry me. It's so, so true. Whew. Right. This this notion of differentiation, linkage, vulnerability and in the absence of shame. This is the end of Genesis 2. They're standing on the precipice of of their mission. And this is all of our missions. But we can't, like, I can't do it by myself. I have to be doing it with others. Yeah. And so this notion of, like, how am I going to be formed? Yes, I need to be immersed in texts, immersed in worship. Mm. I need to be immersed in a community in in, in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. It could be a community of two or three others. For some of our listeners, you're like, I don't have that community. Well, then you'll have to then go make one. I know it might sound hard and harsh and cold and so forth. And like, yeah. And if it doesn't work out perfectly the first time, keep trying. (laughs) It's exactly right. Right. We don't have any other choice in the matter. Uh, Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh my goodness. I could go on and on Kurt, but I'm going to close with this. When you think about the deepest place, I mean, you've just put out so many wonderful works. Like I wanted to get on here and talk about the anatomy of the soul. Like, I was like, can we just go all the way back to the anatomy (laughs) of the soul? Let's start there. Um, We could do that sometime. And we should, because that book is like, oh my goodness. I just have a fascination with neuroscience Mm. and all the things. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. the deepest place, I guess I really want to know what really inspired that one for you. Mm. Yeah. I have the privilege of being with a lot of people who, as I like to say, are getting after it. Mm. Yeah. You do. These are people who are <laughs> I don't serious. even know half of them, but the ones I do know, I'm like, wow, that's awesome. These are these are people who are serious about following the king. It's really hard to do. Mm, I'm married to one of those. Praise God. Yeah, and and there's nobody who's following the king. If we're serious about it, we're we're going to suffer. Yeah. And uh, we live in a world, that, and we, we like to say, look, the Christian story is the only story in the world that honors suffering. Hmm that honors it, that holds suffering in, it, in its proper place. Eastern, Eastern metaphysics sees it as something that we just want to ignore mm. or work to imagine doesn't really exist. Western metaphysics sees it as a problem that needs to be resolved mm. and that it's only ever bad. And those are the only category, that's the only category for it. It's only the Christian gospel that receives suffering for what it actually is, that it is our world's natural and expected response Mm. to our finding ourselves in the predicament that we do 
because of how we have given over our God-given calling to steward the world, and we've given that over to the kingdom of darkness. Yeah. Wow. And so suffering is the natural response that we find because of our predicament. Mm. And yet the gospel doesn't look at that and say, you guys, like, you're screw you. Exactly. Like, I'm, I'm so done with you. No, yeah. oh. they don't. The gospel comes for us and says, even the suffering itself that is your natural inflammatory response to your own behavior, mm -hmm. uh, even I'm going to use that very thing to be part of the redemptive work such that even the suffering itself will be honored. Wow. And my patients, I, I say like, I want, we want to honor the suffering that my patients choose to endure mm. because they have decided they are going to allow Aslan to undress them. Mm. <laughs> and we don't want them to do that by themselves. And mm. I think that as we are willing to like, like name that suffering, when we name that and name that this is also the natural outcome of what it means to follow the king, mm. uh, we find that in so doing in the context of a vulnerable community, that experience itself transforms the, sh the suffering while the suffering itself is being used by God to transform us mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think so many people that I know who have suffered, uh, I've heard them say that very thing. Mm-hmm you know, the transformational work. Okay. So tell everyone the known podcast, is that correct? The being known podcast, the being known, the being podcast. known podcast, right. That you can find, uh, my, my co-host Pepper Sweeney and I, and along with our producer, Amy Chella, um, we're in the middle of having launched our eighth season, um, on putting ourselves in the path of oncoming, oncoming beauty. And you can find that wherever you find your, your podcasts. And we're really excited about, this whole process of being known, we, I've got this little nonprofit called the Center for Being Known, and yes. it's going to have its annual conference coming up in a week here in Northern Virginia called uh, Connections. And you can find me uh, on my website, KurtThompsonMD.com, and on Instagram and all the uh, places, Twitter and Facebook, all the places, right? Is, um, is your website also where people can find more information about the confessional communities? I mean, listen, you guys, Dr. Thompson is a, um, if you don't know his work, it's 100% worth it. So is they can find out more about confessional communities there as well. They can. They absolutely kurtthompsonmd.com you can find out more there. Uh, you can find out at thecbk.org. That's the nonprofit work. And you can find out more about some training work that we do in this as a different kind of training work that we do in person intensive work uh, mm -hmm. in the private practice that we do called New Story Behavioral Health that's also mm -hmm. here in Northern Virginia. Gosh, thank you so much. Let's You're get together welcome. again. We're going to talk about the anatomy that. of soul next time. Okay. okay. I'd love that. Thanks thank so much. You. Goodness, I am so thankful for the way God is using Kurt to expand our understanding of God's work in our souls and in our brains. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please take a moment and send it to them. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time.